Good morning, Harvest City Church. Uh, it's good to see you. Welcome if you're visiting us for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time. If you haven't joined us yet, welcome. Um, my name is Brendan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you before. And um, I know a lot of people have been looking forward to seeing Kimmy preach this morning because they heard that she was. And I've got a couple of people nodding over there. But I'm sorry to say that Kimmy will not, unfortunately not be preaching this morning. You're going to be stuck with me. Um, she became really sick in the last two days. So last night's she kind of almost broke down and said, listen, I don't know if I'm actually able to do tomorrow. Um, so I said, okay, cool. I'll take it up. So I'm standing in for her. Um, what's really interesting is that actually this, today the topic that we're talking about is spiritual warfare. Um, and what's interesting for us, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional about this, but I think we've actually seen an attack on us as a family in the last week as she's been building up to today. And she was incredibly sick. She had a sore back on Monday. She was really sick yesterday with a fever and cold and flu and coughing. Um, one or two other things across a, a busy week. But I think reality is that you know, we, we see actually spiritual warfare. She was preparing for this topic as a reality that we face um, and that the devil does exist in the world that we live in. And I don't want to super spiritualize everything. I don't believe that there's a demon hiding behind every single bush. That's what we're going to go through later today. But just actually really seeing that spiritual warfare is a real and relevant thing to all of us. And that's what we're going to be going through today in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, it's called Spiritual Warfare. That's the title of today's topic. Um, it's not one of the topics that everybody loves to talk about. It's kind of something that freaks people out, if I'm right. I've got a couple of people with big eyes already glaring at me, and that's cool. I think it's because it's a topic that we don't fully understand. It's something that actually it is a little bit scary when we think about demons and the devil and this kind of spiritual realm that we, realm that we cannot see with our eyes. And honestly, for today, this is not about me and me getting the preach last night, but actually... It's about in our weakness that God is strong. It's about the fact that actually he is victorious in the spiritual realm. Actually, he conquers the devil. Um, and that's what we're going to be going through today. So I know that for some of you, if, um, if you think about this topic, you probably think about demons and demon possessions and exorcisms and all those things that come in horror movies. Am I right? Before researching this topic and reading through some of the articles, that's what I had a view of. I had an experience at Varsity where we were studying in the library and somebody came up to us and says, have you heard about the lady in the canteen who is demon-possessed? My initial reaction was, no. And that's hectic, that's scary. A friend of mine goes, awesome, let's go and pray for her. I'm like, what? Are you crazy? She goes, come on, let's do it. So three of us went down, uh, two friends of mine full of faith to go and pray for this lady. And what was amazing is she was a really petite little lady, probably 50 kgs maximum. And she was being held by two security guards, easily weighing 120 kgs each. And she was in this canteen, and she was literally throwing them into chairs and tables off of her as they tried to restrain her. And we walked into this canteen, seeing this like, kind of develop in front of our eyes. I'm standing on the back foot going, I don't want to get hit by chairs or security guards that are getting thrown. But it was amazing to see that actually there was something inside of her that was not from God. And two of my friends who were full of faith said, come, let's pray. And we began to pray for her, we began to pray over her, we began to pray that actually the demon would come out. One of my friends began to pray in tongues, and as soon as he put his hand onto her head, she fell down to the floor screaming. And she stood straight back up, she looked him in the eyes, and she mumbled something that was completely inaudible to us. At this moment, my heart is pounding, I am freaking out at what is going on, and he continued to pray for her, and he laid his hands on her head again. She dropped down to the floor, shrieking, and then went completely silent. And what blew me away was we saw the raw power of God in that moment and a demon actually leaving that woman. 
Because actually we, he had faith to pray and he was praying and actually God came and that demon ran away. Because as soon as he touched her head, he left. And I'm sure that some of us have an idea of the spiritual realm or spiritual warfare like that experience. It's very rare. It's the only time I've ever seen it. I'm sure for the rest of us, we're going, we've never seen something like that. And that sounds hectic. We don't want to be there. You might have been like me, on the back foot, not the front foot, going, okay, how do we get out of the situation, rather than my friend who was walking towards it because he wanted to pray and actually set this woman free. And as I began to read more about spiritual warfare, I actually began to see that all of the time, every single one of us is engaged in spiritual warfare. As we live out our lives, we live in a world that exists with the devil and his demons all around us, we actually just don't know it. And that's what we're going to get into today. But before we get there, I'd love to share a little bit more about my story. About what, how, what happened when I was young, maybe actually began to view or how things changed my view of the world. I grew up in a Christian family. When I say Christian, I'm not talking about a cultural Christian. I'm not talking about somebody who went to church every now and then. We were part of the church. We went every Sunday. My parents knew Jesus. They know Jesus to this day. And they love him. And we attended church because they attended church. I knew about God. I knew who he was. I even gave my life to him when I was five. I don't necessarily know that I knew what I was doing when I was five. And I was always pretty good as a child, in my opinion. My brother might disagree. Um, but I was always the kid who was picked at school because I was mature and responsible to take something to the office or the principal because the teacher knew that it would get there. Okay? And I think what I figured out when I was younger was that actually when we behave well, when we act well, when we hold a certain standard of behavior, we are rewarded with it with love and affectional words. I experienced that at school. I experienced that even in my household. And I think what happened with me was actually I put that lens on when I began to look at God and how I interacted with him. If I was good, then God loved me. If I behaved well, then God would love me even more. If I attended church, if I did all these things, then actually I found approval in God. The problem was if we flip that on its head and I behave badly, what does God think of me? If I do not do all of those things, what does God think of me? And that's the lens through which I began to view God. Even though I had an incredibly earth, incredibly um, good father on earth, my natural biological dad who loves me completely unconditionally, and who taught me about God the Father, I still deep down believed actually there was a sense of having to work my approval and love from God. And this is where our understanding of spiritual warfare comes into play. If we look at how I began to view God, those were the lies that the devil began to use and make me see things through whenever I looked at God. He actually made me think that I needed to be perfect in order to be loved by God, that I needed to live a sinless life because if I wanted to be like Jesus, Jesus was sinless, then I need to be sinless in the way that I lived out my life. And those are the lies that the devil used to put into my mind as he used to put doubts in about my relationship with God. When I didn't spend time with him, when maybe I think angry thoughts and I swear in my, my head at my children who are just really frustrating me, that actually I do something bad and it causes me to put more distance between me and God rather than me running towards him. And the devil uses those things every single day to be able to actually push me and God further apart. And that is the spiritual warfare that we're going to be looking at this morning. But Jesus in his unrelenting love continues to find me, continues to love me, continues to actually just draw me close to him. 
Because as we look to Him and understand what He did for us on the cross, then I understand that actually my love from God is not based on my performance. It's based on my position in Jesus Christ as a son of God. And that's what we see Paul writing when he writes to us in Ephesians chapter 1 to 3. He writes these things, and I'm just going to refresh our memory a little bit. He says, we are saints, we are chosen by God, we are adopted as God's children, we are holy, we are blameless, we are saved by faith alone and not by what we do. We are reconciled to God, we can come to Him with boldness and confidence. We are accepted by Him based on our position and not our performance, and we are profoundly loved by Him. That's what we see happening in Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, where Paul writes and he says, this is who you are, because this is who Jesus is, and that is actually where our identity comes from. And in John 8, verses 44, Jesus says this about the devil. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's quite hectic when you read that, when you think, actually, who is the devil? He is a murderer and he is a father of lies. And the lies of the devil speaks into us and over us are the primary weapons that he uses against us as we live out our lives. And excuse me if I'm going to be reading through a lot this morning. I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be, but it is what it is. So you might be sitting there this morning and thinking, well, maybe your story is very different to mine. Maybe actually you don't identify with a performance-based love and approval from God. But whatever it is, the devil knows you well. He knows what you've been through. He knows your life. And he's going to use those things to distort your perception of God and your relationship with him. As he uses our insecurities against us and God. Maybe for some of you it might be that actually you don't need God in your life. Maybe you're too too sinful. Maybe you've never understood love. Maybe it's a lie that actually you can be fulfilled and find your identity in other things. Or in sexuality or in a relationship or in your workplace. Whatever it is, I believe that we're at a spiritual war. That the devil is trying to use those things and his lies and his schemes to be able to twist and distort our view of God. And we're in a war where actually we need to believe that we are God's children and what he says about us is true. And we need to fight for our position as his dearly loved children. We're in a war to believe that Christ is the one who redeemed us and that we are made right with God. What we see in Ephesians chapter 6 is Paul is completely normalizing spiritual warfare. He's not discounting the fact that demons exist. He's not discounting the fact that the demon, uh, devil exists. He's not saying, cool, there actually is a demon behind every single bush. But he's saying, actually, as Christians in the world that we live in, there is something going on in the heavenly realms. And he normalizes for every single one of us. He gives us a broader view of what spiritual warfare is. He tells us that actually the devil's schemes can be subtle. They aren't obvious, but they are persistent. That he tells us lies and he makes us believe things about God, ourselves, or others that are completely untrue. And spiritual warfare is often a war that actually we need to fight in our hearts and our minds and our thoughts. Because the devil speaks lies over us, into us, and he sows things into our hearts that are untrue. I think one of the biggest lies that we believe about the devil actually is that he doesn't exist. Some of us have that view going, actually, this, this just happened because that's the way the world is. When we think that he doesn't exist, that's when he's able to, to attack us the most. But there is so much hope because God is stronger, because God is victorious, because Jesus beat death and he was risen from the dead, and he sits in heaven today. So with that as my introduction, I'd like to look 
at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, we're reading from verse 10 to 24. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to look at the screen behind me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's quite a description about the devil and demons that exist. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplates of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might boldly declare it as I ought to speak. So that also, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tishicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he might encourage your hearts. Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love Christ Jesus with love incorruptible. And today as we look at this passage, I think my prayer is actually that the Holy Spirit would reveal things to us, who would begin to tell us that actually we live in a world where the devil exists, that it's not super spiritualized, but actually that we are heightened and we are more aware of the devil's schemes that would cause us to run to God and not away from him. Because we would stop believing lies and actually we search the Bible for the truths that God tells us about who we are when we are found in him. And I'd love to look at three things today. I'd love to look at number one, that we would know our enemy, that we would know who our true enemy is. Number two, that we would be able to use God's armor as a weapon because God is our strength. And number three, that we would use prayer as a form of resistance in spiritual warfare. So number one, knowing your enemy. I think we need to know who our true enemy is. I love this passage and it scares me a little bit when the passage says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It paints this picture of the things that exist around us that have a lot of power, that are authoritative, that are things that we probably would not even be able to conceive or conceptualize as we look around them, and as we live out our lives. But it does make one thing dead certain. It says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is not against people. It is not against people who have wronged us. It is not against the people that exist around us. It is not even against ourselves sometimes. But actually it is against the devil. It is against the demons. It is against those principalities and powers and the rulers that exist around us in the spiritual realm. Because fighting the true enemy who is the devil and not people causes us to actually view people differently. Because they were made in the image of God. And the Bible calls us not to hate them but to love them. 
to forgive them, to pray for them. Because we might have been wronged by people, but actually there might have been something else going on when those people are oppressed by the enemy, when those people are going through something, when those people are suffering through depression or, or are as desperate for Jesus as we are. What I'm not saying is that people are never to blame. People have got free choice. Sometimes people do things wrong. And it doesn't mean that we can just blame the demon inside of them. By no means. If somebody has wronged us and somebody has done something wrong to us, the Bible calls us to sit down with them, to have an open and honest discussion, to love them with the love of Jesus, to love them with the forgiveness of Jesus, but to be able to bring grace and truth to a situation. But it does also make us aware that there's something else at play in the world that we live in. And what I love is at the core of our faith as Christians is Jesus Christ who died for his enemies. Who was murdered for the murderers. And even when he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Can you imagine a people who understand spiritual warfare, who understand that actually it's not the people who are opposing them, but there is something else at play and begin to pray for their enemy rather than persecute them with their tongues. Who rather than hating them would love them just as Jesus did. That's what Paul is calling us to do, to be reminded that actually there's something so much more than the person standing in front of us that is frustrating us. It would cause us not to hate them, but actually to love them as Jesus did. It's a complete opposite response to what our natural humanness wants to do. Because Paul's saying, actually, there's something so much more at play than what you can see in front of you, in front of your eyes. That might be your ex-husband or your ex-wife. That might be your boss. That might be, might be your mother, it might be your father. I don't know what it is, and I'm not in any way excusing what they've done or what they've said. But I do think this is a call from Paul to the Ephesians and even to us to say, actually, we are called to forgive them because it's not only them, something else is happening in the background. Personalize that for yourself. Think about the people in your life who have offended you, who have wronged you. Actually, can we love them as Jesus loves us? Can we forgive them as Jesus forgives us? I love what Paul says here when he says you need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I think one of the things we understand is when we know who our true enemy is, we can understand that actually we cannot compete with him. We cannot actually go against him because he is stronger than us. So Paul doesn't say be strong in your own strength. Stand up to the devil and his demons. He says, no, actually be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So in point number two, we need to use God's armor as a weapon because God is our strength. And in this passage, when Paul is writing about the armor of God, when he's talking about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, he's actually referencing Isaiah 59 verses 16 to 20, when it says, And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. This is God now. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet for salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render payments. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which is the wind of the Lord drives. And the Redeemer will come to Zion for those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. So Paul's painting this picture of an army and of war. And he, he uses that to talk to us as soldiers and saying, actually, we need to pick up a different clothing. 
because we are at war. We need to pick up armor, we need to put it on, and we need to stand firm. The whole point of this metaphor is not to go into the depths of each single piece of armor. I'm sure you've heard something about this passage before. You might have read it before. If you haven't, you can go and read about what the shield of faith is for, what the helmet of salvation is for, what the belt of truth is for. But actually the whole metaphor and point that Paul is driving here is he's saying, actually we need the armor of God because we don't have armor for ourselves. We need the armor of God because we need His strength. Because we cannot fight the devil on our own. Because what Isaiah is showing us there in that passage is that when we fight this battle, we fight with the strengths and the weapons that God supplies us. That we're not using, God, we're not using our own armor, but actually we are using God's armor. Because in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, Paul shows us what evil looks like. And he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is the devil. All of us who lived among them at one time, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, were by nature deserving of wrath. So what he's saying there is actually before you knew Jesus, you were in a world that was corrupted by the devil. You were led by him. There were demons around you. They were leading you into different things that were completely sinful. Every single one of us. Because the devil is intelligent and he puts schemes in place that are able to work in conjunction with our humanity, with our sinful nature, that cause us to be drawn away from God. That cause us to be sinful. That cause us to do things that are not of God, that are not holy. He plants seeds and thoughts and lies in our mind, convincing us that maybe sin is even okay because it affects everybody. He even plants the lie inside of us that we are not able to overcome sin that exists in our lives. He says, you know what, actually, it's okay to do that thing again. You're not strong enough. Just do it. You can go to God and He will forgive you. So and so that you met last week, He's doing the exact same thing. It's okay to sin. Maybe even the devil takes on the role of an accuser and he exploits our guilt as he draws us further and further away from God. He'll tell us that we're weak. He'll tell us that we're a hypocrite when we go to God. How can we be asking for forgiveness, but yet we sinned yesterday? How can we come to God and pray and try and be righteous and holy when we're sinning as we're driving on our way to work? Or in our mind, we have hatred towards a person in our office. Every time we sit down with our Bible, the devil makes us think and puts doubts into our minds and say, how can you sit down and read your Bible and try and be a person who has a relationship with God when you're doing everything against what his word says? I've been there. I often feel like that. When I feel like I've sinned, I run away from God rather than running to him. But God's armor is the fortification for our lives against the world, against our flesh, and against the devil. Because the armor is not of our own, it is actually of God. It strengthens and it protects us. But I feel like sometimes we can over or super spiritualize the armor of God. But actually what we need to do is understand that it's a process of us learning to put on his armor time and time again. It's a process of us putting on God's armor as we use his strength to exist in a world where the devil lives as we are involved in spiritual warfare. Because as we wear God's armor, as we walk out our lives, we draw from God's strength and not from our own. I think for me, I try and look at Jesus' life and I try and see how I can become more like him. That's incredibly scary because it's a huge and tall order when we compare ourselves to Jesus. But what we see is when Jesus was tempted, 
he uses the armor of God against the devil. He said, it is written, as he used the sword of the Spirit, to rebut the devil's lies and schemes and tactics to try and get him to follow the devil. We see three times he quotes scripture and then Satan flees when he was out in the desert, fasting for 40 days. Even Jesus was the one who went to the armor of God and said, actually, God, you know what? I'm going to use your word to rebut the devil. I can't do this on my own strength. God, can you help me now? And becoming like Jesus is a process. And learning to wear God's armor is a process. And we begin to understand those processes and we begin to understand more about the armor of God when we practice spiritual disciplines that we learned in our series of Knowing God earlier this year. When we spend time in worship and praising God, when we spend time reading and studying and meditating on His Word, when we sit down and we fast, saying no to certain things and sinful natures, and we say yes to God, and we spend time in God's presence, when we spend time celebrating and feasting all that God has done for us, when we celebrate our salvation, when we give of our time, our money, and our energy to Him and His church, when we serve the poor and one another, when we Sabbath, when we enjoy community with each other, in all of those things, we are reminded and through a process of putting on the armor of God because it is His strength and we can walk out this world and our lives with Jesus in the world that we live in with the devil that exists around us, with the heavenly realms and the principalities and powers that exist around us. It is through those spiritual disciplines that we are reminded about how we can slowly put on the armor of God. These spiritual disciplines help us to press into the armor of God, help us to be reminded of the scriptures that actually, and the truths that Jesus speaks over us and that God has over us. Because the truths that we can find in the word of God completely undermine the lies of the devil that he puts into our minds. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you and I? Which elements of the armor are we missing? Which elements of the armor do we need to put on? How do we put that on? How do we talk to somebody else and say, you know what, actually, this is an issue that I'm carrying with. This is an issue that I'm going through. This is a doubt that the devil is putting into my mind. For me personally, in my experience, from the story that I told you, it's actually running back to God's word and understanding that I'm completely and unconditionally loved by him, that my love from him is not performance-based. I need to remind myself of that. And there's no way that I can do that without understanding God's armor, by understanding that actually the word is the thing that I can turn to. And it can remind me of those things. It completely undermines what the devil is trying to do in my thoughts. And it pushes me and draws me to God rather than away from him. And point number three, prayer as a form of resistance. This water is beautiful. If you want some, I've got like three bottles. <laughs> One of the spiritual disciplines I didn't mention earlier is the spiritual discipline of prayer. In Ephesians 6 verses 18, Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. He emphasizes prayer at the end of writing these beautiful six chapters to a church in Ephesus, telling people about how, who they are in Jesus and how they should live out of their lives. He ends it off by saying, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Why do we need to pray? Because prayer is a form of resistance. Prayer is an acknowledgement, number one, that we need God and that actually we are unable to defeat the enemy in our own strength. 
It's an understanding and an identification for ourselves that actually we are unable to do this thing. It's an acknowledgement, an expression of faith, and an admission that actually there is something greater than us who needs to step in and take over because we are unable to do it. It's an acknowledgement every single time that we pray that we need God in our lives. We cannot do this thing on our own. We've already understood that the devil is our enemy, that he is greater than us, and we need to do things in God's armor and in God's strength. And every single time we pray, we remind ourselves of that. When we have all the armor on and we understand the armor of God, prayer is actually what we do with that armor. It's actually saying once we've suited up, once we've got all our chain mail and our helmets and our breastplates and our shield and everything on, it's actually saying then we need to pray. Then we need to pray. We need to pray all the time for all supplication for all the saints, is what Paul says. Praying all the time sounds a little bit daunting, doesn't it? There's a guy called Henry Nguyen who said, I want to pray, but I also don't want to miss out on anything like TVs, movies, and socializing with friends. Does that sound like anybody? It sounds like me. I love watching TV. I can just zone out. But Paul calls us to pray all the time. That's a little bit daunting. How do you pray all the time? And we see that in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, Jesus is telling his disciples a parable, and he says this, He says, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get their justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So to pray always doesn't mean that we have to pray day in and day out, 24 hours a day. What it does mean is that we need to never give up on praying. We need to be continually praying. Even when we don't see what we're praying for come to fruition, that we do not actually be um, despondent, we don't be discouraged, but actually we would be persistent in our prayer with God. Because of this lady who went to a judge who was not godly, who didn't care what men thought, he was able to give her justice. How much more will God give us justice and will, will he answer our prayers? Do we believe that actually God can overcome evil? Do we believe that God can change our situations? Do we believe that God can come and change our thoughts? That when we pray that we can come to God and actually He can change the way that we think? He can take the doubts out of our minds? That He can stir up faith inside of us? That He can come and do something in our lives as we come to Him? Because the reality is that we live in a world where the devil exists. Where the enemy that we're fighting against is not of flesh and blood, it is of the principalities and powers, the rulers and authorities, it is the devil and his demons that exist in spaces and places that we do not know and that we cannot see. And they are trying to undermine our relationship with God, he's trying to trip us up, he is scheming and telling us lies and putting doubt into our mind in our relationship with God. So from this passage we can see that number one, we need to know who our enemy is, that he is the devil and he is not the person or the situation across the the table from us. We need to know, number two, that actually we need to use God's armor 
because he is our strength and we cannot do it on our own. We do not have the capacity to fight the devil because we've already established that he is our enemy. And in number three, actually that we need to use prayer as a resistance because it pushes us to God rather than away from him. And I'd love to read through this last paragraph. It says, what lies have we been believing about ourselves lately? Whether it be an accusation, whether it be something that just is not true. Was it a lie that we cannot overcome a struggle or a situation or a temptation in our lives? Because God today wants us to stop believing the lies of the devil and begin to believe the truths of Jesus Christ. He calls us into a relationship with him where our identity and our acceptance are secure and not experienced on what we have experienced in the world. That we would not believe a lie that we do not need God, that he is not real or that he is not good. But actually that today God would call us into a relationship with him where he is good, where he is just, where we can enter into prayer and remind ourselves about how good he is, how gracious he is, how merciful he is, how loving he is. Because he is the God who came down to earth, who humbled himself enough to die on a cross, who took our place to die for our sin, and then gloriously and victoriously was risen from the dead to be seated high up in heaven as he actually was victorious over the devil. And those are the things that we can believe in as we walk out of life in a world that exists in a spiritual realm that we cannot see, that we cannot understand. And I'm not saying there's a demon and a devil behind every bush, but actually we need to understand that there's something larger at play. And the coolest thing about that is that we are on Jesus' side when we put our faith in him. And we walk in his victory, we walk in his glory, we walk in his power. And we don't have to believe the lies of the devil, but we can rather believe the truths of Jesus Christ. Please, why don't you stand with me? I'd love to ask Eugene and the band to come up for a second. And please, can I ask all of our deacons and our leaders to come to the front? As a church, we believe in a culture of prayer. We believe in a community. We believe that actually God calls us to be a people who walk out our relationship with Him together. And I've asked our leaders and our deacons to come up to the front so that actually we can respond to God this morning. And I'm not forcing you to come out of your chair. Not at all. What I am going to do is pray. What I am going to do is call people to response and read through a list of things that I believe is happening in the world that all of us live in. And if you're wanting to respond this morning, actually that you would come forward and you would ask for help. Because the reality is that we're part of an army. We're not doing this thing on our own. I'd invite you to respond this morning to God. As we've been reading through Ephesians, identifying who we are in Jesus and how we live out our lives with Him. And we've been speaking about spiritual warfare this morning. There might be some people here today who are believing the lies of the devil. If you can, you're welcome to close your eyes. There might be people here this morning who believe the lies of the devil and doubt their relationship with Jesus. There might be people here this morning who are feeling completely trapped in a way of sin, whether it be depression or lust, pornography, alcoholism. You might be feeling completely trapped in something that you're going through and experiencing this morning. There might be some of you who are running away from God rather than running to Him. There might be people this morning who are putting blame for a situation or a conversation with somebody onto somebody else. 
And I'm going to call us to respond. That actually you would come forward, you would ask somebody to come and pray for you because that would be coming to God rather than running away from Him. That somebody would be able to pray for you that you could forgive that person. That actually somebody would be able to warfare over you with Jesus as our victorious King as we stand together and we cry out in faith that Jesus would come, that He would come into our lives, that He would set people free. And as we sing, I really invite you to respond to God this morning. It's not about me, it's not about them. It's actually about you and where you are. What are the lies that the devil's been telling you? What are the doubts that he's been putting into your mind? Because when we are weak, God is strong. I invite you to respond this morning.